Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to our monthly book club, and welcome our author, the strong and powerful Peter Lazarov. Peter, are you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it, George. Excellent. Let's do this. Peter is a CFA, a CFP. He is the co-chief investment officer at Plan Corp and Bright Plan, and he is the author of Making Money Simple, The Complete Guide to Getting Your Financial House in Order and Keeping It That Way. Excited to have you back on the show, Peter. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and really what motivated you to write the book. Well, uh, my personal life really entails my family and going to work and uh, rinse, <laughs> wash, and repeat. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I'm very happy it's baseball season. That's one of my favorite things to do at night uh, once everyone goes to bed and even while I'm up writing. But, uh, you know, the, the book coming out a few weeks ago has really been a big focus. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. And what was it that, that really motivated you to, uh, to put pen to paper? So, yeah, I think I've always wanted to write a book and I feel like financial success, it's, it's not magic, it's engineering and all you really need are good systems in place for making good money decisions. And so I wanted to write a book that laid out the blueprint for how I built my own wealth as well as how I was coaching others to build their wealth. And as I sat down and started, you know, it's just trying to lay out a path for people to turn career success into financial success and do so without a word count because I obviously write for my own blog at peterlazaroff.com but when I write for the Wall Street Journal or for Forbes you know there's a limitation to what you can do and how deep you can dive and so the blank page with no word limit really I think both opened up a lot of possibilities for going into things that I think get overlooked and are not necessarily complicated, but just there isn't always the time and space to get to them. But for me as a writer, I think it really opened up my ability for storytelling because oftentimes when you write online, you just have to get to the point. Whereas when you get to share personal stories um, and you can be a little less formal with your voice, suddenly it it feels hopefully more conversational to the reader uh, when you pick up the book. Well, I appreciate that very much, and so much power in narrative, and and people will help to to identify. So I think that that's great. So when somebody picks up the book, what are you hoping that they'll get out of reading it? Well, I would hope that they, at a minimum, find a starting point for making improvements to their finances. And it's it's pretty cliche, but I often say you know getting financially healthy is a lot like working out or dieting. The big difference is if you go to the gym once for 30 minutes, like you're not going to have a six pack. You have to keep going (laughs) and it's ongoing effort. The difference with your finances is some of the exercises I have in the book as well as some of the worksheets that I provide on the book and that you can also find on my website is that it only takes about 30 minutes to do one of these exercises and the benefits last a lifetime. And so my hope is that people – you know, we'll get their whole financial house in order and keep it that way forever, just like the subtitle says. But in reality, even if you just do one small thing and let that improvement compound over time, that's going to be an enormous difference in your life. And so hopefully people are empowered to make some sort of change because knowledge is only so useful. It's putting that knowledge into action that's really important. And then similarly, I want people to feel really confident about their money decisions because there are so many different 
places to start. And once you pick a place to start, there's so many underlying options that we can just start to feel paralyzed. And hopefully when you read this, you think, okay, I can do this. And there may even be parts where you say, okay, maybe I can't do that. And as a result, at the last chapter I put, if you feel like you need to hire an advisor, here's a process for that too. So there really shouldn't be too many question marks if you make it from beginning to end on what's the best way to get your money in a good place. I think that's 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 excellent and I can't agree with you enough that taking 30 minutes maybe even less these are skills these are things that you'll have and that will carry with you and will benefit you for the rest of your life so it really is just taking the time put pen to paper and go through those exercises um, do you have a favorite exercise that, that you have in the book well, I think it's probably um, the goal setting. And there's a worksheet in the book. It's on the website. It's called the Goal Planning Worksheet. And it's really nothing uh, unusually complicated. It's just a worksheet for you to break up goals into things that you want to have happen in the next five years. Um, those are the short-term goals, the intermediate-term goals of five to 15 years, and long-term goals of 15 years and longer. But the exercise also, the reason I like it so much is that the exercise in setting the goals that I outline in the book involves a lot of dreaming and imagination. And there's research out there that shows that the neural patterns in our brain are, uh, when you look at how we react to saving money, are nearly identical to the neural patterns of just giving money away to a complete stranger. And how do you reconcile that? It, and similarly, there's research that shows if you can somehow see yourself in the future, it's easier to make these good decisions. And part of the goal planning worksheet, and there's instructions on it, but it's obviously in the book too, is going through a process of dreaming. Like, think about what it, life looks like the day before retirement. Who are you with? What are you doing? What are you wearing? Uh, what do you talk about? What are your interests? You really get in that mindset. So as you're setting these goals, you know, you're making really intentional decisions because the the thing is when you set up these goals well then the next steps are basically automating your way towards getting them there and there's not a lot of ongoing effort so put some effort into it and get in the right mindset because the system that i'm going to help you build doesn't really require you to constantly exercise willpower in thinking of the future and so i think both on the front end and back end of the usefulness of the goal planning exercise is by far my favorite one what popped into my mind, I remember learning, um, going through English class, and my teacher told me, need to show, don't tell. And instead of just writing down, I'd like to be able to stop working at age 65, and here's, much mo here's how much money I'd like to, to have coming in, that's not very inspiring. And to your point, uh, that's essentially like giving it to a stranger. You really need to create that those those dreams and those images and do your best to, to see yourself actually doing those things in order for it to really probably come to fruition. Yes. And while I provide some like samples to somewhat inspire people in the book of my own life, you know, the research that shows that this is really effective towards making better money decisions used virtual reality where, you know, you looked into a age rendered version of yourself and that's really hard to replicate, except now they have apps that do that. So, you right. know, if you're getting out this goal playing sheet, maybe go download an app and look at yourself as an 80 year old and you say, OK, I can start thinking about that. But you close your eyes and it feels silly, but it really makes a big difference. And it also in terms of the goal setting, your goals become more meaningful. Um, 
and the goal playing worksheet you know, requires you to have an expected cost and expected time at which this goal is realized or needs to be accomplished by. So if it's buying a house, it's by this date. Or if it's, for example, saving for retirement, you need to do that every every year. So it's December 31st um, is the expected time and the amount. And so making it super specific and measurable and achievable is all really important. It's probably, I think, the lack of intentionality is probably where people fall short most often, even when they are good savers. So I think a lot of people think, well, I save a lot. I'm probably in good shape. And don't get me wrong, a good savings habit can cover up a lot of really bad decisions along the way. But when you're intentional about it, the sky's the limit. Okay. So, and I, I, I certainly agree. So be intentional about it. Can you go a little bit deeper into that or, or give me another example of how that, of how people can put that into practice? Well, sure. I think as you start, so once you have your goals, it's really easy to say, okay, let's figure out how much it costs to meet those goals, specifically the short term goals. Cause if you think about five years, five times 12 months is 60. So I can take the expected costs divide by 60, and that's how much I need to save per month to meet these short-term goals. Now, you don't just want to throw it into a checking account. You want to set up separate deposits into different accounts that are going to meet these specific goals because these different accounts, you know, I think a lot of people could very easily just build up a big cash pile and not think twice about it. But there are different accounts that are best used for different types of goals. And certainly when you direct them that way, you know, you can make tax efficiency gains. You can find ways to take more risk in the composition of assets with which you own for these goals. So, for example, an emergency fund should go to cash. Um, a fund or an account to buy a house, maybe you'd own some mix of stocks and bonds, with one that's really conservative, but certainly one that allows you more growth, particularly if you're a little bit flexible on when this goal happens. All these decisions, when you write them out, gives you a scorecard and helps hold you accountable. What holds you even more accountable is if you have a third party, like an advisor helping you out through it. But certainly if you are married or in a long-term committed relationship where you could do this exercise with someone else, as you write it out, it's a feedback mechanism. It's a scorecard on this is what I said I would do. This is how I'm going to follow up on it. I love, I love it. So intentionality, accountability, I think that those are absolutely essential pieces. Um, I, so those are those are maybe habits that that you're really hoping to, to to build and instill and link them to what people's goals are, where 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 they want to get. Are there certain habits that you're trying to trying to help people break? Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure that I did, to be completely <laughs> honest. I mean, I think. Um, my big focus was on the idea that we have a lot of poor human tendencies that you can't break and you have to work around Mm. and you can't take the human nature out of human. And so I think a lot of where I'm focused on is trying to build a system that doesn't change who you are or change your habits, but literally tricks you into doing the right thing. And so I think automation is a big part of that. But when you acknowledge that roughly 40% of the decisions that we make every day are actually just habit driven, Mm -hmm. well, that's really powerful. So how can we leverage that? Because, okay, once we get in a routine, we won't break it. 
And we don't like change as a species. It's really uncomfortable, both from like a mental cognitive dissonance sort of way as, as well as just takes effort. And we've evolved as a species to minimize mental effort. I would say I have very intentionally not tried to have people break habits. The only exception would be is if you're starting to build out something in the book that I refer to as a reverse budget, where you figure out how much you need to save to meet all your goals, and then you just don't worry about where the spending is going otherwise. The good thing about that is really nobody wants to track expenses in a spreadsheet every week or every day or every month. And, you know, it's the type of habit that is unlikely to persist and thus, you know, result in good behaviors. So if you're not going to be able to follow through for those good behaviors, why even try? When you build around it, um, you ultimately acknowledge, okay, these bad things are going to happen. But if I get you in an automated system and you don't have to make the decision over and over again and the willpower, you know, willpower is like a muscle. It gets tired. You, you just don't worry about those habits that are bad and kind of work around them. And I hope people really uh, appreciate and grab hold of what you just said there is that that willpower is very much a diminishing asset. We do not have it <laughs> the the same throughout the course of the day. Uh, it's kind of like if you wait till the end of the day to do the most important thing, there's probably a pretty good chance that that's not going to get done until tomorrow. So I appreciate that. And the more that we can automate things and take the decision making away from 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 our brains, uh, it's probably the better. So. So as 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 you're sitting down, um, and you are a uh, a consistent writer, I, I I know that you 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 do a ton of of great writing for for lots of different outlets. So you're probably always doing it. Um, was there something that you really wanted to avoid? You're like I really don't want to do this with that book. Was there anything like that? Well, I didn't want it to be too technical, okay. and it would have been really easy for me to write a book. It fall into the trap of writing a book for my my professional colleagues um, and friends, you know, people who I communicate with in the investment community, in the advisor community on a regular basis. Um, I think I, at one point the the book is organized into three sections. There's kind of a goal setting and setting up a system for success, an investment section, and then in the third section is this, you know, the bigger one time or less frequent decisions that you have to make that have really big dollar signs attached to them and it can be pretty costly if you get it wrong. But on that investment section, the very first time I wrote it, I think I got too technical. Like I totally geeked out on it. And one of the early sets of feedback because I gave the manuscript to people throughout the writing process was like, wow, these, the introduction and then the first four chapters, this was like really approachable and conversational and, and light. It was really fun to read. And then I got to chapter five and you just like clobbered me with investors. <laughs> and so I had to do like a full rewrite of um, five chapters. And that was hard to accept. When I first got the feedback, I'm like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. And right. then <laughs> several months later, I went back and read the whole thing through. I'm like, oh, no, they're right. And so I think trying to avoid being overly technical, um, trying to introduce enough little uh, nuggets of information that an educated reader could always learn something new, but make keeping in mind that if you basically I wanted, if you know nothing about finance, I wanted to make sure that this book made sense to you. Got it. I love it. So what are some of those really the main ideas that you really want to enforce, reinforce rather? 
so compounding is a huge theme throughout. Um, it's the first chapter. I moved the compounding chapter originally all over the place, but you know, compounding and compound interest, our brains don't think of linear or they, excuse me, they do think linearly really well. So they think of like, it's easy to visualize what one plus one is and then plus one plus one and how that adds up. The exponential things are a lot harder to visualize and truly give the respect that they deserve. And so I went through, I feel like pretty great lengths and through as many examples as I could possibly think of from the traditional ones to some probably more outside the box ones. But compound interest is really powerful, obviously in your investments and in your bank accounts, but with the small habits you make and the small changes and wins you make in your finances, when those compound over multiple decades, I feel like that goes really underappreciated. And so compounding was a big theme. I think building systems and automating them was a huge theme. And finally, just the idea that a lot of investment success comes down to minimizing mistakes and then just staying the heck out of the way of compound interest. And from that angle, you know, it really changes things. And the more decisions you have to make in your investment portfolio, the more opportunities there are that you do something incorrectly. And those themes run throughout. And, and when you, by the time you get to the third section, the themes are less so that they're more focused on, look, there's probably a lot of stuff that you don't know. And it would be best if you acknowledged that you can't know what you don't know and that there are blind spots and trying to address those. Um, and generally speaking, the best time to attack any of these issues is right now. Like, and even if you're doing a great job, there's probably a place you can do an even better job. And whether sometimes for people who are saving, maybe you're saving too much. Like maybe you're not out there living life the way you should. And then there are other people who are living way more life than they should. And, you know, need to start thinking about the future a little more. Yeah, it's probably uh, one of the biggest risks we run. We, we, we run with everything is being unconsciously incompetent. And once we can move to the point where you say, you know what, this is probably never stuff that I'm going to be an expert in, but I need to be aware of it. Um, and I need to do back to the intentionality. I need to be intentional about making sure that I'm not letting these things trip me up because compound interest, it's, 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 it's time and we need to be minimizing those mistakes as early on in order to be successful long-term. So I think that's awesome. Um, other, other major, um, mistakes that 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 people commonly make that that you really want people to say okay here's some things you need to keep an eye out for well the on the investment side people make so many mistakes that we'd probably need like an hour to go through <laughs> that um so let me i you know i think there's some obvious things and i have one chapter of the book basically dedicated to investment mistakes um stuff like paying too high a cost, things mm. of trading too much, being overconfident, stuff like that. But one thing that I point out um, in the final chapter about hiring an advisor is that I don't know, one, I think more people ought to use a professional than they actively do. So I'm obviously biased. I'm a financial advisor, but I also have hired a financial advisor for myself. Um, you know, I'm not above realizing that an objective third party could be useful for bouncing ideas off of. And also, you know, they don't let things slip through the cracks. They're going to be proactive. Whereas when it comes to my own finances, personally, I usually just take care of them whenever there's time. And sometimes there isn't time and things slip through the cracks. So that's one piece. But the other one is that I think when people do hire an advisor, 
they don't put enough effort into it. Um, you know, it's a big investment to hire a professional investment advisor, financial advisor, financial planner. Why not take the time to make a really good decision? And so I focus a lot of efforts on the process of hiring an advisor going through not just how do you find a list of candidates and then whittle down that list to maybe two or three, but then once you have those two or three, a very, back to the word, intentional process for interviewing those people. And there's something called a structured interview, which is developed by Daniel Kahneman that really helps you inter, you know, remove the bias from our decisions. Because when people go out to hire an advisor, even if they're interviewing two advisors, it may not be that the meetings are right back to back. You know, they might be separated by a few days or oftentimes a few weeks. And so you sort of forget what you thought about one person or the other. And you ask different questions of one person versus the other. And so really getting um, intentional about the questions you're asking, the process you follow. And in the book, there's kind of a worksheet and scorecard and also could be downloaded from my website where you go in with a scorecard and it becomes really quantitative. It allows you to assign a number to each advisor at the end. I think it's a, a process that uh, people always joke in the investment industry that people research a refrigerator more than an investment idea. I believe that. Uh, yeah, right. But they also, I would say, don't really put that much effort into hiring an advisor. I mean, it's. I would like to think they put more into an advisor than you know, some random investment idea. But in reality, clients and potential clients don't come to us with the type of questions that I certainly would be asking an advisor. And I think it's because they don't know what to be asking. And so hopefully I solve for that problem with, with uh, the content there in the book. I think that's very valuable. Any closing advice to, to readers of the book? Um, yeah, share it with all your friends. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you read the book and you still don't know where to start, uh, I recently, after finishing the book, worked hard on something called smartmoneyquiz.com. And it's just nine questions and it's based on a lot of different areas of your financial life. And it tries, I, I try to give, based on what you answer, three to four areas to focus on, as well as, you know, what are next steps for those. So highly actionable, only takes like two or three minutes to fill out. So smartmoneyquiz.com is a good place to start. You could do that before reading the book even. And then that way, as you're reading the book, you might know, oh, this is really where I'm supposed to focus now. Um, but if you uh, if you read the book and you have comments, it's really easy to find my email. Shoot me an email. I answer everybody. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to feedback. And so far, the response has been really great. I've, I've been I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. But sure. um, I've been really pleased so far with what is what you know what the response from the broader public has been well that's awesome well peter thank you so much for coming on where can savage nation learn more about you and most importantly where can they get a copy of the book well peterlazaroff.com eventually has everything that i do regardless of platform it falls onto my blog there and in the book um i buy all my books at amazon but you can buy making money simple anywhere you buy books uh, but i do believe it is cheapest at amazon for the time being Great. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show your appreciation and share his book with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to PeterLazaroff.com. I'll list that in the notes of the show and go to Amazon and pick up a copy of Making Money Simple, The Complete Guide to Getting Your Financial House in Order and Keeping It That Way. Thank you again, Peter. 
Thanks, George, for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!